Ah. Uh-huh. 
you for who you are. We know you are our provider, our counselor, our comforter. So Father, I pray that you would just bring those things to mind that you need to bring to your altar. Do you thirst for a drink from the well? 
Jesus, your blood was shed for all, for all sin, anything, Lord. It's in your blood. The power we have to live by faith in you is in the blood. Let's just pray. Father, we know that um, there are many concerns uh, throughout uh, this group of people. Things that are dear to their heart. Things (coughs) where it seems as though the enemy is gaining a foothold But we know from your word that he is a defeated enemy. And we rest on that. We know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so, Father, today we we want to pray especially for the work at uh, the Braden and Transitional Center. Lord, it, it, we know that it always boils down to money. But we also know that the enemy uses the fear of the lack of money for all manner of excuses and reasons to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. And so, Father, not only do we want to pray for the the ladies at the Transitional Center, Father, we also want to pray for the leaders of this, of the state, the leaders of the bridges, and those who are making these decisions, that they would see the places that they can move money around, that they can understand that what goes on in this place has a profound effect on the lives of those who go through it. And that failing to allow that to continue increases the chances of recidivism. And so, Lord, I just just pray that you will give the leaders wisdom to see beyond today and to see down the road the impact that what they are doing is going to have. I pray, I pray for the individual ladies there at the, at the Transitional Center. I, I pray, Lord, that you will help those who have faith in you to remain strong, to to realize that the promise in your word still stands, that you work together for our good in all things, in all things, you work together for our good when we love you and we are called according to your purpose. 
So, Father, whatever may happen, you are in control. You are guiding. There's a, there's a plan. There's a purpose. There's something that you're trying to do. We don't understand it. We shouldn't even try to understand it because your ways are so far above our ways. But I pray, Lord, that in and through all this, you will draw those who already trust in you to trust in you more. Our faith, your word says, our faith is more precious than gold. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I pray for those who have yet to trust in you. That through the, the character witness of those who do trust in you, they will see what it's like to handle an unpleasant situation with Christ in their heart. And they will be attracted to that. Your word says we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So we pray, Father. We know that just because they stopped having religious input does not mean that your spirit is gone. Your spirit still has his way in that place. And we pray that it would become even more powerful as those who love you and trust you trust in you more, call on you more, believe in you more, and are allowing you to show forth your light through them. We also, Father, we also want to pray for those who we've been praying for for, a, for quite some time, and we just want to continue to lift them up to you because they struggle, and they're still struggling in some way. And so we just want to we just want to lift up to you, Wesley. We want to lift up to you, Andrew. We want to lift up to you, Celeste. We just want to lift them up to you and say, Father, help them to see the things that, for whatever reason, they may not be seeing. Help them to see that their hope lies in you. Their strength lies in you. Their future lies in you. And you are but a prayer away. And now we just ask you, Lord, to bless our tithes and offerings as we give them. We give them to you cheerfully because we love giving into your kingdom and seeing your kingdom expanded. In Jesus' name.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us together. We ask as we look into your word today, as always, uh, we need your help. We need you to open up our hearts and minds to receive what it says. And we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. We are, this morning, we're continuing our look at the seven churches of Revelation, and we are on church number four, Thyatira. And this is, um, this church was relatively close to Pergamum, which we talked about last week. It's interesting that the Lord finds some of the things that he found wrong with Pergamum, he also finds wrong in Thyatira. And I want, uh, I want us to look at that because I think it's, it's important for us to understand what he's saying. There's a lot going on in here. There's a lot going on in what he has to say to the church in Thyatira. But I don't want to get caught up in all of the little details and innuendos because I think there are a couple of very strong statements that the Spirit makes um, that I think we need to pay attention to more than anything else. So he begins and he says, to the angel of the church, this is, this is Jesus himself speaking to John. John is writing and he's writing these, um, these letters to the churches. He's writing them down so that they can be sent to the, the heads of the churches. They're called angels here. They're literally the pastors. The, sometimes it may be a bishop, but they are the leaders of the churches in these little towns. The first time we ever hear about Thyatira is in Acts chapter 16 when Paul is in Philippi and there was a lady there who was from Thyatira. Her name was Lydia and she was a merchant who dealt in purple cloth. That was, her, that was what she did for a living. And she was by the river and Paul and his partners went down there one day and began to teach. And the Bible says that she was there. She heard what was being said. The Lord opened her heart. And she, she was, a, uh, the Bible says she was a worshiper of God. And so then she asked them, she said, if you believe that I am a, uh, if, if you think that I'm a believer, you can come and stay at my house. And... Uh, that was the first mention of the name of the town of Thyatira in the Bible, and we don't hear about it again until in Revelation. It's not uh, an overstatement to say that this woman, Lydia, may have had a, a, a great impact on her town, uh, it wasn't a big town, it wasn't like a thriving metropolis, it, but it could be that she went back and through her witness there, was, there were more people that came and then later on it was organized and, and uh, they had a, a, a bishop or a pastor that was there. That's a, that's a distinct possibility. But anyway, the, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire, <clears throat> excuse me, and whose feet 
are like burnished bronze. This is one of the statements, and you're going to hear it later on. You're going to understand it later on. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire. And this alludes to the idea that Jesus has the ability to, to penetrate beneath the surface, beneath our surface, beneath the facade that we put on. Okay? Now, you say, well, I don't, I don't put on a facade. Really? Of course you do. Okay? Because, you, because who you are, people, how they see you, they look at you, you, have, you put on a facade. Now, I'm not telling you that it's a false facade. I'm not saying that you're, that you're one thing in church and that you're one thing at work and that you're another thing at home. No, that's not what I'm saying, but there's, you, you have a facade. And God is able to look, Jesus is able to look through that facade, and the Bible very clearly tells us in the Old Testament, man looks on the outward appearance, okay? We have these cute little sayings, don't judge a book by its cover, okay? But we do. We absolutely do. We look at someone and we go, and we see the outward appearance, we see the, um, the things that are going on outside them, and we look at them, and we make judgments about that. If you say you don't, I don't believe you. Now, I'm not saying they're wrong judgments, but we just do. We look at people, and we see what they look like on the outside, and those are our first impressions, and so we make judgments about it. The Bible says that God looks on the heart. He gets, past, he gets past the outward appearance, okay? My, my, my lovely wife says to me as years ago, um, as my hair began to turn gray, okay, she said, why don't you color your hair? You look, you'd look younger. And I said, I know, but I wouldn't be younger. You see what I'm saying? I would look younger, but I wouldn't be younger. Okay? So I decided I'm just going to cut it off. Okay? Cut it really close. Just yesterday, my daughter Angie just did the buzz. Absolutely. So, but you see what, but the facade, you know, you can look, but you, but you know, I know. I know that's not real. God looks right through us. The words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, his eyes are able to look right through us. And that's why the day is coming when we are all going to stand before him and we are going to be judged according to the deeds that we have done in the body. That's what the Bible says. We're going to be judged. And those judgments are going to be absolutely 100% accurate. There will be no mistakes. He will say, you did this or you were this, and you will have no recourse because that is exactly what you did and exactly what you were. Whose eyes are like blazing fire. Now we go on. He says to him, I know your deeds, your love and faith 
your service and perseverance and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Wow. You guys have advanced in your in what you were doing at first, you have advanced to it at to another degree. That's a little bit different than what we saw when we were looking at the church in Ephesus. In Ephesus, he said, I, I know your deeds and so on and so on. He said, and I have something against you. He said, you've, you've regressed. You've lost your first love. Here, he said, you're doing more than you did when you started. Great. The Bible tells us we should grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a sign of, of, of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We should be able to look back on our lives and say, I have grown in the last year. I have, I have grown in my, in my spiritual walk. There's a difference between now and then. If you're not seeing that, if you're not seeing that growth in your spiritual life, there's a problem. Just like we would look at a young child, a young baby. And if that baby stays small, if that baby doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, learn to walk, if that baby doesn't uh, stop drinking from a bottle or, or nursing and begin to, to go from liquid, a liquid diet to a, a solid food diet, we begin to look at them and say, well, th there's got to be a problem here. There are... There are these landmark times that we, that we lay out and say, well, if a child's not doing this by this time, we, we need to examine that. Well, we should be doing that in our spiritual lives as well. He said, you've done more. You're doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you. Now, when we read this, it's going to almost sound like a repeat of what we talked about last week. Okay? He says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Does that sound like what we talked about last week when we talked about Pergamum? They talked about the, the, um, uh, the sin of Balaam. We talked about the sin of the Nicolaitans. And here we have this person, Jezebel. Now, there is a good chance that the person that he is referring to in this passage of Scripture, her name is not really Jezebel. He is, it could very well be that he is referring to the wife of the king of Israel, Ahab. King Ahab had a wife whose name was Jezebel. And she was, she enticed Ahab to begin to worship Baal and to sacrifice idols. As a matter of fact, they set up an idol of Baal in the temple of the Lord. She, uh, she persecuted the prophets of God. Matter of fact, she was after Elijah because Elijah pronounced sentence and said there would be no more rain until he spoke again. He said, I won't rain until I tell you it's going to rain again. And it was such a, a famine and everything in Samaria because it went over three years without rain. And she hated Elijah. 
And she did all sorts of nasty things. Her husband Ahab wanted to, wanted to buy a vineyard. And uh, the guy didn't want to sell to him. And the king went to his... I can't picture this. This is kind of funny to me. But Ahab, the king of Israel, okay, or the king of Judah, he, he gets all mad because this guy named Naboth won't sell him his vineyard. And he goes, into his, he goes into his inner chamber and he sulks. <laughs> and the queen comes in and she goes, you're the king for crying out loud. What are you crying for? And so she, she says, I'll take care of it. So she writes a letter to the town leaders where this Naboth lives. And he says, she said, I want you to gather all the people together and I want you to have two scoundrels sit next to him. And in the middle of the, of the feast, she said, I want you to, them to stand up and say that he blasphemed God and take him out and stone him to death. And they did it. And then she went to the king and said, okay, the guy's dead, now you can have your vineyard. And he got up and went and took over the vineyard. That was the kind of person Jezebel was. She was an evil, vile woman. And here, whether or not this woman's real name was Jezebel, or he was simply referring to this woman and in order to make it, to get his point across, he calls her Jezebel. We don't know for sure. But her teaching caused her to mislead other Christians into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, I, I want to I say this to you. I want you to, I want you to hear what's going on here. He goes on, in just a second, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of, their, of, her, ways, of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Now again, that alludes to the Jezebel with Ahab, Ahab repented, and God said, okay, I won't bring the, the pronouncement that I did. I will bring it on his children. Okay, so again, it kind of, kind of alludes to that. But listen to this. I mentioned this last week, but I want to mention it to you again in a different light. When the leaders of the church got together and they, at the Council of Jerusalem and they said, look, we don't want to burden the, the, the new Christians coming in. We don't want to burden them with a lot of laws and requirements. We want to make it really simple. And so what they did is they, and I, we talked about this last week, and here's what it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. I want you, that's the key phrase. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. They didn't just do this on a whim. They didn't just go down the list and go, eh, we don't like that one, eh, we don't like that one. Oh, okay, that one will be good. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. And to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid those things. 
So the Holy Spirit makes this declaration through the church leaders and says, these are the things that it would be good for you to avoid. Now it's interesting to me, anyway, it's interesting to me that the very thing that the Holy Spirit and the leaders of the church said would be good to avoid are the very things that these false teachers and people who were not walking in the Spirit, they are the very things that they were trying to get the church people to get involved in. Okay? See? By teaching, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to animals. That was the thing that she was teaching them to do, and that was the very things that the Spirit of God said we should avoid. So there's a problem. And part of the problem was is that there were those within the church not only who were participating in it, but they were, they were okaying it. They were, they were living with it. There was, no, there was no problem with it. They weren't standing up against it. Now, here's what, here is the key to all of this. Okay? Whether or not this Jezebel was really named Jezebel, whether or not she was... Um, or whether it is an allusion to the Jezebel that we find in 1 Kings. Either way, the resulting punishment that God was going to bring upon her and those who failed to repent of being a part of what she was teaching, here's the result. Here's the result. Then, and I think this is what the Spirit is trying to say to us today, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. You need to let that verse, I need to let that verse, sink into our minds and into our spirits. We just need to let it sink in. <clears throat> Then the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. I am reminded of the early church where people were selling their, their land. They were so taken up in the, uh, in the freedom that they, that they sensed with knowing Christ as their Savior that many of them, the Bible says, went and sold their property and brought it and the money and laid it at the feet of, of the, the apostles so that they could take care of the poor. They didn't want anybody to be without. They all wanted to help out. And there were two people, a husband and a wife. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira. And they, they sold a piece of property and no one laid the law down. No one said, there was no apostle that stood up and said, listen, if you sell a piece of property, you got to bring it all to us. He never said that. That was just simply what the people did. They sold the property. And, and, and maybe not everyone brought all of it. But Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property and brought the money to the apostles 
but they kept some of it back, which was not a sin. It was not a sin for them to sell it. The property was theirs. They sold it. They kept part of the money back, but when they brought the other amount of money, what they decided to give, they brought it to the apostles and they made it sound as though we have given all the money to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. That's, that, a matter of fact, that's what the apostles said to them. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, Ananias, the, the, the husband, was the first one. He came in, gave it, said, here's the money for the property that we sold. And Peter looked at him and said, Ananias, why is Satan, <clears throat> why have you conspired to lie to the Holy Spirit? And he fell over dead, and they were carrying him out, and his wife walked in, and Peter said, did you sell your property for such an amount? She said, yes. And he said, the men who just carried out your husband are going to carry you out. Boom, she dropped dead too, because she lied to the Holy Spirit as well. And the Bible says that great fear spread over the church. We will know better now, we do not want to lie to the Holy Spirit. Lying to the Holy Spirit will not bode well for you. Okay? And so here... He's saying, listen, if you are involved in the things that are going on in the church here and you don't repent, I want you to understand things will not go well for you. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. What is the Spirit trying to say to us today? Here, he that hath an ear, let him hear. What's he trying to say to us? I believe what he's trying to say to us is, I'm he who searches the hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. I think that we have to get that into our minds and into our spirits. We will get repaid for our deeds, no matter what they are, whether they're good or bad. He will repay us for what we do in the body. Now, I want to, as, as I was reading uh, about Jezebel in 1 Kings, I came across this verse of Scripture. I had read it a, few, a month or so ago in, my, in the course of my reading the Bible through from front to back. And I came across this because I thought it was extremely interesting. You, time, time does not do away with the things that God proclaims. Okay? Time does not enter into it. And I want you to see this, and I thought this was very fitting for, for what we were talking about this morning. Listen. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 26, this was right after the Israelites had destroyed Jericho. And at that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son will he lay its foundations and that the cost of his youngest will he set up its gates. That was the proclamation. That was the curse Joshua, at the word of the Lord, put on Jericho. So now the children of Israel go in to the, to the land. Hundreds of years go by. The time of the judges. The time of the kings. Hundreds of years go by. And here's Ahab. He's the king. Jezebel, she's the queen. Evil, vile woman. Okay? 
And in the time, in Ahab's time, listen, in Ahab's time, Hael of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abraham. And he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, the son of Nun. Hundreds of years later, we do not, we cannot, we should not trifle with the things that God commands and the things that God said will do happen, things we should do, things we shouldn't do. We cannot trifle with them. Listen, one of the things that I think has taken place, and, and I'm, I'm going to be real careful here because I, I, don't wanna, I don't want you to misunderstand me. But I want you to understand something. We live, we live in a time, well, the, we can see it all through the Bible, but predominantly now we hear so much and teach so much about grace. And God is gracious. For by grace are you saved through faith. Okay? And so we hear a lot about grace. And in some areas, I think, I think the, the, the concept of grace is, is maybe carried a little bit too far. They get a little bit out of sorts with what the Scripture says. But I'm going to tell you, grace is an absolutely marvelous thing. It is, a, it is a biblical account of God's mercy and grace toward us in saving us even when we don't deserve it in every way, shape, or form. But I'm going to tell you something. You, can, I, you and I cannot trifle with the commands of God. You, you and I cannot think that we can ignore the commands of God and the things that God has, has said to us in how we, are to, how do we are to act, how we are to conduct ourselves, how we are to live. We cannot just ignore them and think that somehow grace is just going to sweep them under the carpet and God will never see them again. That's, that is a dangerous, dangerous way to live. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The grace of God makes it able for us to say no to ungodliness. You see, he is telling us, I am the one who searches the hearts. And I will repay everything that is done. And that is why Number one, it is important for us to, re to repent. Okay? It's important for us to repent and to be forgiven 
And then it is important for us to understand what the Word of God says and how we should live and live according to that. And if we stumble and fall, and if we do something that we shouldn't do, then if we are living a life of repentance, we immediately repent and God immediately forgives. We don't take that for granted. We don't take advantage of it. We don't live haphazardly. We don't live loosely and then just think, oh, well, I can do this and then I'll just ask God to forgive me and he will. And that's just a dangerous way to live. That's not living in the fullness of what God wants. He goes on and he says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. There is a... In that day and age, there were people that were called the Gnostics. Greek word for... The Greek word gnosis meant knowledge. They were people who were said to have a deeper knowledge of the things of God. And most of the time, that ended up being things that God had never said. The Spirit of God had never led them to say that. It actually led people into areas where they were never intended to go because they ended up doing things that were against God and against what the Holy Spirit was teaching. And he talks about this, the Satan's so-called deep secrets. They weren't the Holy Spirit's deep secrets. They were Satan's deep secrets. Okay? I will not impose any other burden on you. Only that, only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, hear that now, hear that now, to him who overcomes and does my will until the end. To him who overcomes and does my will until the end. In case that slipped by you, to him that overcomes and does my will until the end. That's a that's a perseverance. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, he that perseveres to the end. He says here, if you overcome and does my, do my will until the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter and he will dash them to pieces like pottery. He's actually quoting out of Psalms chapter 2. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. No one seems to know exactly what that means. Jesus is the morning star. He's called the morning star in the Scripture. And then he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What do you think the Spirit of God was saying to you today? about the eyes of the Lord Jesus being able to see beyond the facade. He sees beyond what everyone else sees, and He knows what's going on in our hearts. 
And he also says, the churches will know. Now, I, I don't, I, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too far off the beaten path here. But I, I'm a, there's a verse of Scripture in the New Testament. And essentially it says this. Judgment is coming and it begins at the house of God. Judgment is coming and it begins at the house of God. The Bible says that the church of Jesus Christ is going to be to Jesus like a bride without spot or wrinkle washed in the blood of the Lamb. God is going to do whatever it takes. Listen to me. God is going to do whatever it takes to purify His church. He's going to do whatever it takes to purify His church. I don't know what that is. I don't know how He's going to go about that, but I'm going to tell you something. He wants a church that's pure and holy and without spot, without wrinkle. And He's going to do whatever is necessary to to do that. He's going to bring events and circumstances into our lives that are going to cause us. We are either going to... we are either going to turn away or we are going to run to Him for everything that we need and everything that we have with all of our might because we know that that, that, is, our, that is our safe place. He looks and sees what we are and how we are. Let's draw as close to Him as we possibly can. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. We ask that you would just uh, that you would just open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Not me, not, not what, I, what I'm saying, but what the Spirit is saying. What is written there? What were you talking about to Thyatira that I needed to hear? That is a question we need to all ask ourselves. What were you saying to the church of Thyatira that I needed to hear? And I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit you would make that abundantly clear to us that you would take it down deep into our spirits and make it a part of us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. Just as you said in here, I have given her time to repent. Just just the way you are so overwhelmingly patient with us. Thank you for that. We wouldn't be here if you weren't patient with us. Father, I just 
pray now for the ministries that you've allowed us to become a part of. And we just pray, Lord, for, for all of them. You've been so good to bring them to us and allow us to, to, um, to share in the, in the ministry, to share in the harvest, to share in uh, all of the different aspects of it. We just we thank you for the E prison ministry. We've already prayed for the, the transitional center. We just ask you to work in that place. We thank you for Todd and Shelley Marks, for Chris Garris. Uh, Lord, we thank you for what's going on. And we know, Lord, that there are, there are times, as she said in her letter, Chris said in her letter, there are times of great joy and there are times of great discouragement. And so, Lord, I just I just pray that the, the, the times of joy would increase and the times of discouragement would decrease. And that you would um, set on fire some of the young people there in Dungal Village and in, in, in that area, Lord. We thank you for those who are there who who have made the commitment to draw closer to you, and we just pray for them. Lord, we pray for, for love serves, and we pray for the upcoming mission trip, Lord, that it'll be a time of, of uh, just spiritual renewal and just a sense of, of joining with uh, believers from another country in a, in a different culture and saying we are all one in Christ Jesus. We pray for the Gideons and we just, Lord, we pray as they are praying that you would bring in more young businessmen who would have a passion for seeing the word of God go forth. And we thank you for our daycare, pray for our summer camp that has started. And Lord, we just, uh, we just pray your blessing on, on all that is going on here. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.